This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Did you ever stop to think about the many different kinds of living things there are in the world about us? There are plants and animals on the land, in the air, and in the water. These living things are Welcome to another episode of Religionless Church. This is Mason Meninga. So for this episode, we are going to be talking to Drew Mosier. Drew is the Dean of Students at Taylor University. And he's also not only working in Christian higher ed, but he's also an author. And he has just released a new book called Ready or Not, which is kind of about how millennials can engage with the church, with spirituality, vocation, and a, num- a number of other things. And so Drew and I talk about that. We also have Ryan Phipps, good old Ryan Phipps. He's a pastor out in Maryland, and he also kind of has a music project, side project, called Saturn. And so him and I talk a little bit uh, that's in the middle of the episode. And uh, yeah, I think his trip pop, uh, or trip hop, however however it goes, uh, is uh, it's really interesting. It's not something I normally listen to, but uh, I really dig it. I really do. So you'll be able to hear those two throughout this episode. Also, be aware that I just started a Patreon page where there's a number of different tier levels where you can support me financially at a $1 a month level, a $5 a month level, and a $10 a month level. And each one of those have different rewards that you will receive uh, in exchange for uh, some cash and moolah for me. Uh, So I hope that you would love to be a Patreon supporter. Uh, So you'll be able to find that link in the description and you'll also be able to find the links for both Drew's work and for Ryan's work with Saturn in the description below so be sure to check their stuff out 
be sure to check my stuff out at masonmenega.com and uh, the other links below. I know you all are getting tired of my voice, so here's Religionless Church. As much as you can, collaborators, innovators, mice and men. The future belongs to those who seek. The teacher often learns when the students speak. Gather all the data as much as you can. Collaborators, innovators, mice and men. Today we have Drew Moser with us. Drew is a college professor and dean at Taylor University and the author of the recent book, Ready or Not. And I think that book is coming out in a few weeks. Uh, so by the time that this podcast, by the time you're listening to this right now, it will have already been out. But Drew is also a father, a husband, and uh, he's been an author of a few other books as well. So Drew, you're all of those things. But I'm curious, who is Drew Mosier to Drew Mosier? Ah, man, that's a great question. And I've listened to uh, your previous episode, so I knew this was coming. Uh, but it, that's a really tough question for an Enneagram type three like me, if you're uh, into the Enneagram at all. So that's hard to un unwrap the personas <laughs> that are there for a three. But um, I think I'm I'm learning to embrace uh, myself as simply one who is loved by God and loved by others, and that that's I'm learning to be my lifelong journey to uh, recognize that is my identity and not all these other things that are in a bio or, um, yeah, I'm also a big Cubs fan, so there you go. What was the impulse behind writing Ready or Not? Yeah, there were a few. Uh, one, it was, you know, I'm in my 30s now, well into my 30s. And so in some ways, this is the book I wish I'd had when I was in my 20s. Uh, because, you know, the 20-something decade is a really confusing time for so many people. Uh, and then when you bring... Uh, the Christian faith into that 20 something experience, I found it becomes more confusing <laughs> and, uh, and I don't think that's helpful. So, uh, we, I wrote the book because my entire career has been spent, you know, whether it's in church ministry, nonprofit work, and then now in higher education for the past nine years, my entire career has been working with 20 somethings trying to unpack the most important and deepest questions about life. And this book is an attempt to uh, help resource and equip and empower 20-somethings to live with hope and purpose and meaning in this decade, as opposed to you know, waiting until they're 30 to figure things out or all the other prevailing kind of cultural narratives that might be out there. Nothing in your eyes, your mind is a blaze, and your heart is an anchor, your body's a cage, your plans a vapor. The story's as old as the story's maker. There's always a giver, there's always a take. What did you learn about 20-something-year-olds that you didn't know before or experienced before as you were writing this book? Yeah, I learned so much. Um, so the precursor to the book uh, were workbooks that 
my colleague, my co-author, Jess Fankhauser, and I designed to teach courses at Taylor and to conduct workshops with young professionals um, you know, who are in their mid-20s or so. Uh, and those workbooks were designed as a result of research that we conducted uh, at places like Taylor and other college campuses on the concept of vocation. So how do 20-somethings engage, experience, feel about this idea of vocation? And what we've learned, uh, you know, uh, we learned a ton, but, you know, for the sake of brevity, we learned a few things. One, they're bombarded by two competing and yet contradictory messages in their lives. Uh, the first being, live it up. <laughs> you just enjoy your 20s, uh, live that Instagram life. And, uh, and then the subtext to that is that because adulthood is dreadful and boring. So soak it up as much as you can for as long as you can, document it all on social media until you have to figure out you know, this hashtag adulting thing. Uh, and then the other message, though, this is especially true in the faith realm, especially the Christian faith realm, is that, uh, but you also need to figure out your life as soon as possible. So, uh, so there's these, this double binding message that 20-somethings are experiencing, that they need to have as much adventure as they can and enjoy life as much as possible, at the same time that all this pressure to figure it out which then wraps in all sorts of, you need to figure out your career for life. You need to uh, find your partner, <laughs> you know, uh, for life. Uh, you need to figure out where you're going to live. All these things, you know, all these kind of classic, maybe historic markers within, at least within our North American context of what adulthood is, need to be figured out in your 20s as soon as possible. And so what we try to do in the book is that both of those messages are false. That you, you like life is not simply about uh, adventure after adventure after adventure. It's also not about figuring everything out as quickly as possible. Um, we also learned that because of those messages, twenty somethings experience a lot of pressure and confusion about this idea of God's call. And that leads them to uh, potentially some really unhealthy places when it comes to their view of God, their view of themselves, and their view of what it means to be called to anything, really. Now I'll be on the belt like a perfect world. Privacy yards, your little boy and your girl. Inside there's a storm that's never at rest. You're hoping that your best is I think something interesting going on here is that we seem to have this idea that adulthood is this concrete thing that you can arrive to. So if you ask like a 50, a 40, a 30 year old even what it means to be an adult, more than likely they still have no idea what it means to be an adult. They just sort of do these things that might be adult-like and then hope that maybe they're perceived to be an adult. So even in my own self, I've noticed, you know, I'm out of college now, I'm living on my own, and I had these perceptions of like, all right, I'm gonna arrive, and this is what it's gonna feel like an adult, and so all these things I'm gonna do now are gonna be adult-like. But I'm finding in myself that I have no idea what's going on. I kind of throw stuff at the wall and hope it sticks, and I think it's stuff that I'm throwing at the wall is adult-like, and I'm hoping that that sticks, and will make me be more like an adult, but it's much more of a fluid, uh, non-concrete process 
than what we expect of ourselves or we even expect of people that are younger than us. So does your book kind of speak into that idea that I'm experiencing and I think even a 50-year-old might be experiencing? Sure. Uh, well, in many ways, I think we're, what we're trying to do is to name that, what you just said, because I, I think um, a lot of 20-somethings enter into, especially with the post-college life, with this illusion that adulthood carries all these concrete expectations that they need to figure out or that they'll eventually have to get to later. When in fact, um, and then what that, then they import their own view of vocation into that. That suddenly God's calling is, you know, this checklist of adulthood things that I have to accomplish. When in fact, uh, you know, I can say very honestly, as you know, a 38-year-old father of five, I'm still very much and will continue to be in the midst of figuring out what it means to be an adult. <laughs> Just like you said, uh, because every, every new season in life that comes my way provides ample opportunity for me to realize I have no idea what I'm doing. And um, in that I'm not sure I, that I feel equipped and prepared for what's next. So right now I'm on the cusp of, I have, I have five kids, um, all under, you know, 12 and under. So we're, we're right on the cusp of parenting teenagers. I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what it means to be an adult who has teenage children, uh, but I'm about to figure it out. So what, we, what we're trying to do, you know, is cast a vision of vocation that is not just a destination that you arrive to, because that's, that's a mirage. There's no, there's no, you know, destination where you, okay, I've arrived into my calling and now I can just kick back and enjoy it. Um, no, it's a constant step-by-step -step, uh, working through life as it comes your way. And so the frameworks that we want to instill in 20-somethings, we hope they take with them in their 30s, 40s, and 50s as well. You look out your window at the top of the world, but nobody really knows how much you miss your little girl. She's all that you think. She's all that matters, enough pressure in the blood to make a head splatter. The story's as old as the story's maker. There's always a giver, there's always a faker. The story's as old as the story's maker. In your chapter on spirituality, you kind of talk about how spirituality is increasingly changing in our context, especially among 20-somethings. So how, in your spirituality chapter, do you speak to the ways in which spirituality is already expressed in 20-somethings, and what do you hope to maybe see better expressed? Yeah, I, I think um, what we hope to do in that chapter is really elevate a few things. One would be the contemplative life. So I think um, I'm a big proponent of contemplative practice uh, as a means of, of growing our souls. So we, we bring in some, you know, Richard Rohr and uh, some of his friends to try to help, uh, help 20-somethings engage a more contemplative space in their spirituality, especially if they've uh, grown up in the church and, and you know, or especially if they've grown up in an evangelical church context. And 
are finding that their spiritual life is not as nourished as they wanted it to be, or that the church did not provide, you know, some of those uh, some of those tools and practices to them uh, that they want or need. And so, um, so we we frame it in this with this umbrella of contemplation. And then the other thing that we try to do is to bring in and give permission to explore and experiment with spiritual practices that get out of maybe some of the dominant narratives of just pray and read your Bible, which are still within that realm of spiritual practice. But um, this is kind of gets out of the whole, you know, morning Devo youth group narrative um, to try to encourage them, hey, try these on, you know, experiment with spiritual practices. Uh, see how they work. Um, pay attention to what they do, you know, within you. Uh, so we're, we're trying to do that, which can be done both in a church community setting, you know, depending on the church community, or it can be done outside of that too. Um, so what we're trying to do is really reach those that have, um, those that are in the church, but are, you know, questioning why they're still in the church, but also those who have left it, but are still searching for uh, a vibrancy to their spiritual life. To begin your chapter on the church, you talk about your present experience with your church. So tell us some more about that, because I find it really interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, um, I have to say it's not my current church anymore. So uh, as a result of, you know, yeah, as a result of some of the conflict, you know, we're not attending there anymore. Um, but, you know, my, my, my own history with church has been, you know, fairly sorted. I've had, you know, two, I had two experiences in which I was working in a church on a full-time basis in which the senior pastor resigned over very controversial and, you know, moral kind of failure issues, uh, which, you know, as a 20-something who uh, felt like he was, you know, following a call to ministry in some way, shape, or form, that's really unsettling. Um, and then, you know, my recent church experience, uh, there was um, a kind of a, a blow up over uh, doctrine of within some of our pastoral staff. Um, my, you know, my take with it was more about the process that it all went down than even about the, the doctrinal issues that we were, you know, kind of quibbling over. And, uh, and so we stuck around long enough to try to see reconciliation through. Um, at the end of the day, that wasn't going to happen, at least not in the way we had hoped for. And so we, you know, graciously bowed out and, and left that congregation. Yeah, so that's that's been my history with church, and so I, I bring that that experience and that history into um, this conversation on church.
Can I push back a little bit on your chapter on the church? I know I kind of forewarned you before the interview that there was a little pushback. So you mentioned that the church is more about an investment than consumption for the person that goes to a church, that they ought to be investing rather than consuming. And I totally agree with that. I think where my pushback lies is that it seems that you suggest that 20-somethings in general have left the church because they want to consume something from the church and the church is simply not able to give what they need. But I think it's just the opposite. I think the church in many American traditions like the evangelical, the megachurch, non-denominational flair has bought into becoming a product to consume. So megachurches run more like businesses than, uh, than what we would think of as a church, for example. So 20, I think 20-something-year-olds see right through this because they've lived in an age in which they always are experiencing products and, and businesses trying to get them to consume their product. They just are constantly being bombarded with that. And I, you know, I get it in some sense. Like, you know, I, I try to advertise and promote this podcast. But I think 20-something-year-olds are really seeing a dissonance there with their faith. Their faith ought to be not something that they're just simply consuming, just like any other product. Um, so I think 20-something-year-olds are trying to run away from that type of church. And that's where their distrust lies. It's not so much that their distrust is or their lack of engagement with the church is because they're not able to consume the product that they want and they're not investing. I think it's rather that the church, under its own volition, has created a product and millennials and 20-something-year-olds just simply do not want to consume another product, especially when it pertains to their faith. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, you know, my first thought is that that's really perceptive. And I think in many ways, uh, it's, it represents, I think, the war within our own souls with how we engage church. So I, I, I would say it's that there's two sides of, a, of a, a coin at play when it comes to our engagement with church. Because I do think we're constantly filtering our church experience through um, our own kind of authenticity filters, which I think uh, you speak to and, and you spoke to, and I think are absolutely true. I think most of what um, the American church is trying to push to 20-somethings is is shallow. Um, because I think, you know, it, especially within the evangelical context, most of what happens is they either shove them into a singles ministry, which is really just a thinly veiled find a mate, right? Um, or the young couples or young families small group, right? When in fact, uh, that's, that's in some, it, to some extent I get it because it's really hard. So much occurs in this 20-something decade that it's hard for church leaders to wrap their minds around, okay, what, what can we cultivate that's authentic and, and broad enough for the diversity that is the 20-something decade? But um, so I think there's, there's that at play or, Hey, volunteer with the youth group <laughs> that, that happens a lot, right? Um, you're young, you have energy, you're single, um, you have time on your hands, you know, which is all of those things that carry so much assumption, you know, with them, uh, which is, is so funny, you know, and very rarely do we ever look to simply an age demographic to slot 
you know, people into anything you know, that they would be effective at. Um, but I also, so I, yeah, I do think that there's this whole kind of marketing scheme that often comes with the American church that uh, a lot of 20-somethings uh, and you know, millennials more broadly are just resisting, saying, hey, this is just another you know, ad campaign on Facebook, or this is just, you know, another algorithm coming my way. Um, I also think that um, we can't ignore the fact that we, so I, I'm including myself in this, even though I'm not a, you know, a 20 something, but we are not immune to what a consumer or, you know, consumer oriented culture has done to us. <laughs> so, over time. So, and I think that does come into play when we choose to engage church. So while those authenticity filters might be, you know, working and doing their, their work, I also think we're still bringing our, um, our own kind of consumeristic inclinations into the spaces we inhabit, which include church. So I, I do think we have to be mindful of the fact that, um, an authentic spirituality demands a better and more authentic church experience at the same time that requires something of us too. And that's what, you know, I try to get at, you know, that's not just about what we uh, like or what feels good when it comes to church, our church experience. Um, but there's also, there's a, a generative and reciprocal relationship when it comes to a church and its parishioners in what they invest in the church in a church environment. So watch the probably never get so we think for the pieces scattered in the ashes the story goes on cheers clink the glasses now everybody walks with a different step but everybody also wants with the probably Also in your chapter about the church you mentioned that churches are simply just not designed well for 20 somethings. And so a lot of your suggestions seem to be more about what young adults can do and I totally am fine with that. But what are some of the ways in which you think that churches could redesign themselves so they could actually better engage 20-somethings? Yeah, uh, I think, um, so a few things come to mind. Well, one would be stop trying to do cheap imitations of the spaces in which they inhabit naturally. Um, so this is where we get you know, to a lot of, um, you know, just trying to replicate the coffee shop or uh, or other spaces that they inhabit in the church building itself. So I think a far more effective approach, and this is not a new idea, you know, this has been around, you know, for decades, but is to go where they are and engage them where they are, as opposed to just trying to provide more slick ad campaigns or compelling um, uh, program offerings to draw them in to the church building itself. Um, so I think that that would be one thing. And then the other thing uh, that I would encourage is, is provide more tangible, and this is me being a homer here, having written a book on vocation, but uh, provide more tangible and authentic explorations of vocation. You know, this is, this comes out, bears itself out in the research time and time again, whether it's, you know, some of the Barna Group stuff that's come out on, you know, why millennials are, or the rise of the nuns, you know, this N-O-N-E-S. Um, and a, a lot of the conclusion of the conclusions that you can draw from that, one of them is vocation. That the church is not providing a compelling um, exploration of what it means to be called by God for twenty-somethings, for millennials. 
one more thing I would also say too, and this is the, going to be the most challenging one for churches to embrace, um, but we have to be willing to let 20-somethings enter the church with their doubts and, and care and steward those well. I think we're in a we're in a time and a space in which certitude is being wielded. At least this is how millennials are perceiving it, but it's being wielded as a weapon against them. And what that does is that in in their own internal thinking, uh, when they're exploring really important questions about God, the existence of God, about the reliability of Scripture a lot of these things, and they're having their questions, they don't feel safe to ask them or explore them in many church contexts because of the certitude that's just kind of spewed at them. And that, and that says nothing about, you know, what is truth and, and the importance of truth and, you know, those sorts of things. Um, uh, that's, those are important conversations. But most millennials who come, you know, from a faith background or faith perspective Feel that the church is not a safe place for them to explore the questions, that, the most important questions that they bring with them. To me, that is a huge miss, you know, on the part of the American church. We have Ryan Phipps with us today. Uh, Ryan is the mastermind behind Saturn, the music that you've been listening throughout this episode. Uh, so, Ryan. What is the inspiration for a pastor to all of a sudden decide to do some uh, trip pop? Is that or trip hop? Is that is that the right terminology? I'm not. I'm not in the know. '90s. I actually don't know anything about rap music, so <laughs> I, I don't either. So you you and I are in the same boat. But I you kind of have this music. like hip hop style going on. What what uh, was the inspiration behind that? Uh, life. And getting the words out, <laughs> music, music creation as isolated psychoanalysis, self psychoanalysis. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like the uh, it's like if if Pete Rollins can make a beat mm-hmm. and spit a rhyme, this is what this is what Saturn would be. Wow, that's a huge compliment. Thanks. Is that okay? Is that okay for me to say? And yeah, Pete's a brilliant mind, but I'm just floored that I get to be compared to someone with a full head of hair. <laughs> That's true. He does have a full head of hair. He's yes, got he way does. better accent than whatever. I don't know. Do you feel like you have a New Yorker accent still? Did you ever adopt that? I don't think that? I ever had a New York accent. No, not um, quite. No. I, I don't know accents enough to even like distinguish them. But anyway. So, uh, yeah, uh, are there any other projects, uh, any other songs uh, kind of in the, in the future that you're hoping to release? Yeah, I mean, I, I always have stuff. I've, I've got all kind of backlog stuff. I, in six months, I've released, uh, I think, 19 songs. <laughs> so uh it's all i mean it's all very new i wasn't doing this six months ago so um yeah so stuff is always coming out and um i'll put it on my soundcloud page until the my distributor goes through all the back end stuff to get it on itunes and spotify and all that so right 
it's always on SoundCloud first, and then, you know, seven, eight, nine days later, it goes up in all the stores and things like that. So Sweet. Well, thank you again oh, for sharing Oh, let me it. say one more thing that's really cool, which is why I'm in Cleveland, actually. Um, there is a an artist here, Shy Moon, um, that's doing her uh, album release tonight. And I did uh, some remixes uh, of her stuff oh, that okay. out on April 9th. And then um, she also did the vocal hook on my latest single. So um, it's kind of cool to be collaborating that way. Yeah. Wow, cool. Well, thank you again for uh, sharing that music. Uh, I have I've really appreciate it. It's like not a territory that I, I tend to uh, fall fall in but uh i've i've really enjoyed it and i i mean i I really like the work that you do both in music and in uh and in your pastoring so i i just kind of have have dug it uh so yeah thank you for sharing uh and yeah hopefully hopefully things continue to go well with saturn as long as life is shitty (laughs) there will be music tell me gordon when does it all end huh how many yachts can you water ski behind? How much is enough? Not a question of enough, pal. Zero sum game. So it seems like millennials and 20 something year olds are really starting to find church, quote unquote, outside of the church, quote unquote. I'm using church very loosely. Who knows what that even means anymore? But they gather now in coffee shops and they go to the pub to drink and have a conversation about their spirituality or their faith or religion they go to a yoga meeting and and do meditation they go to the streets and protest they go and organize these protests and that's actually it seems where 20 something year olds are fostering and finding church so how do you envision your chapter on the church to speak into the places and and spaces in which 20-something-year-olds are finding church, again, quote-unquote? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think, um, I, think I, would, I would start my response by saying that I hope it provides, you know, footholds and handholds through which to make those spaces meaningful to them. So, um, something of substance within that space, or the ability to pay attention that that space is meaningful, that might be a better way to put it, and to say, hey, that, that there is meaning and purpose here, uh, and how does that form me as a, as a human being? So I think the other chapter does, because there's really two audiences for the book. One, you know, the primary one would be 20-somethings themselves. Uh, but also uh, all the people that uh, work with, have influence, supervise 20-somethings also. You know, it's it's a way to help them understand, hey, here's some things that could be helpful to them and help uh, and help you in your engagement with them. Um, so we can get beyond this whole, you know, declension narrative about millennials that all they care about is avocado toast and, you know, craft beer and artisanal lattes or whatever um and they're broke as a result you know i think there's far more going on there um and so uh so hopefully 
20-somethings can pay more attention to the meaning and significance that is there. You know, uh, the presence of God, for instance, in <laughs> that coffee shop environment. Um, as well as, you know, those who are trying to figure out what it means to, you know, reach, I'm using air quotes, even though we're on a, but reach millennials, um, uh, they can understand what an authentic spiritual journey is for a 20-something as, and get them out of maybe some of those tried and true kind of cookie cutter programming offerings that their church might want to provide. Now everybody's searching for a seat at the feast, and everybody's open for a bigger piece of the feast. It seems like churches are having this issue because they can't imagine an ecclesiology in which church might actually be fostered outside of their walls, of their actual physical building. And so that seems to be where a lot of this problem lies, is that there is just not an imagination that church can happen anywhere else outside of a church building's walls. And so I think we need to start imagining what that would be like. And we really need to push into that. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you sense that that might be part of the issue? Right. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Uh, because I think we, we've, we're, we've come through, you know, a, an era in which we believed that if you build it, they will come. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's been our motto and mindset. So it's really hard for uh, for leaders of churches who are, you know, from older generations to reframe because it feels unwieldy, it feels chaotic. Um, and so, you know, maybe another thing that would, could be helpful is that the, the church building itself, rather than just trying to do things to woo them in, actually talk to some 20-somethings and say, hey, how can this place be a helpful space to the things that you care about? Which uh, could then be, you know, an organizing space for the rallies that they want to have, which could be, um, you know, a space for lectures and panels of speakers that they really care about, you know, that maybe don't conform to some of the traditional norms or narratives of, you know, Bible study is on Wednesday night and, you know, these sorts of things. Um, I think uh, instead of just deciding what is best for 20-somethings when it comes to church engagement, I think it's a far more better approach for leaders to go to them and say, and just talk to them and ask really good open-ended questions and listen to them. I think they'll learn a lot about the depth of millennials as well as the disconnects as to why millennials, by and large, are not engaging church as we knew it, anyway. So obviously, religionless church is a play on words of Bonhoeffer's concept of religionless Christianity. And I'm not sure how knowledgeable you are on Bonhoeffer's concept of religionless Christianity, but based on just the word itself and what you know about those two terms, what are the ways in which you find your work and Ready or Not to speak into 
the concept of relig- religionless Christianity or what first comes up into mind um, when you hear that word? How does your work speak into that concept? Yeah, um, uh, I'm not as familiar with Bonhoeffer's use of that term and what he means by it. However, uh, you know, Bonhoeffer's uh, thought has definitely informed a lot of what I do, and um, especially life together is is a central text to what we do here at Taylor in terms of cultivating a community. Um, but you know, I'd say when I think about religionless church, that concept, I do think about uh, what it means to see, to pay attention, to, to have eyes to see the meaning and significance in the spiritual that are in um, the various spaces that 20-somethings find themselves in. So th- those various places that we just mentioned, uh, the mundane that is work, <laughs> you know, um, the, uh, the messiness that is family, um, the uh, yeah, and all of the above. I do think that there's an opportunity to see, okay, where are the people of God in the midst of all of these spaces? And that doesn't have the tradi- traditional religious trappings that we could easily say, okay, that that is church, because these things happen. Um, rather, we can say, no, th- there's something deeply spiritual happening in this space, whether it's a coffee shop, whether it's you know, a walk in the park, whether it's um, you know, a car ride with a road trip with friends, whatever it might be, that there's something deeply spiritual happening and that church can happen there if we have eyes to see it and pay attention. That's, that would be my initial response. Paranoid of anyone and puts you at risk to get rid of competition with the clenching of fist. In your mind, you're like a planet with a bunch of all right, last question. Where can people get in contact with you? Where can they stay connected with what you're doing and, and your work? Yeah, so you can, um, probably the best landing page would be to find me at drewmoser.com. So that's D-R-E-W-M-O-S-E-R.com. Um, I'm also on all the social medias, most of them anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm not on Snapchat. <laughs> I don't really get it, but um, I'm on all the other ones. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Drew Mosier. I was an early adopter. So you can find me there, Facebook, etc. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Drew, so much. Yeah. Thank you, Mason. It's, uh, it's an honor to be on your podcast. Love what you're doing. Great memories of this country when I was a kid. What do you think of that? Isn't Drew just really great? Just really wonderful, down to earth really humble. I think he is certainly insightful. Even though he's not a 20-something year old anymore, I think he completely understands the the values and concerns and passions and um, and what it is that 20-something year olds uh, are hoping to change. I, I really think he's, he's onto that. So get connected with his work. Again, his links and connections are in the description below. And get a hold of Ryan's work. Uh, through his his moniker of Saturn. Again, his links are below too. And like I always say, you can get connected with my work, masonmeniga.com, M-A-S-O-N-M-E-N-N-E-N-G-A. And you can get connected with my work, uh, with my writings and with some of my other podcasts. And uh, you can also, again, support me financially through Patreon. So 
thank you again for listening to Religionless Church. Peace out. Chasing.